0: Hello, Greg. What were you hoping to accomplish with this podcast?
1: Well, I was hoping, like you, I think, to talk about the things that we liked and also talk about some of the obstacles this culture presents us with when it comes to sitting down and concentrating on writing. Um and to maybe express a little bit that those distractions are actually good. Why? Because they are just expressions of 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 culture that are worth paying attention to and that can feed into and illuminate our own form of cultural production, our writing. Right? The games we play, the things we watch, the books we read naturally Uh all help us become better writers rather than distract us from being better writers.
0: (laughs) Do you ever want a very up though rather than just being distracted all the time like do you find you're distracted all the time
1: i do find i'm distracted all the time and because i'm distracted all the time because i'm actually lying to myself um all these distractions are not very good for my writing Um, my attempts to come on this podcast and talk about it i think turned out to be a little dull
0: I myself am often frustrated by, like, I find myself often being frustrated because I am so distracted, and I feel myself not being able to enjoy things, which I think requires a certain amount of relaxation. Do you know what I mean?
1: I do know what you mean. But this idea that you have to go and live like a monk and be a real writer um, drives me at the wall. I don't think I can do it. I don't... Think that that would make any sense to me?
0: But what about the surrealists? And they engage in a lot of socializing, and the thing was that they shared it. At the end of the day, they they were so excited about their group that about about being in this group and what they were doing that they, you know, they they just made it easy for themselves by sort of accepting that it didn't have to make sense, but it could have a logic of its own.
1: I don't know if that's exactly how the surreal, the French surrealist movement went. It was, I think, a coterie of artists who all had a lot of fun together and who also, incidentally, um, took a lot of information from other streams of media and culture um, they were intimately involved with other painters. Right, they and, weren't
0: monks. My point is that they're not monks.
1: Exactly. Um, but as a social unit, they were really super dysfunctional.
0: Well, that jibes with us.
1: Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, <clears throat> in the sense that André Breton had a certain amount of total power, or at least assumed total power, and started excommunicating everybody. Hmm. One by one, they were all excommunicated, so that what Andre Breton finally had left was this sort of toothless version of communism that that, 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 that became what we remember of surrealism now, or not what we remember, but became its legacy.
0: I don't, think, I don't think anybody has to be a monk. The whole monk thing takes so much effort to get it off the ground. Like, being a monk would be a full-time job if you did it all by yourself. That's why they have a whole lot of people being monks together. Right?
1: Right. And so that I guess it comes down to this idea of there's something pretty interesting about a coterie or a cadre or a gang of artists. Mm. Um, and I guess that one of the things that Podcasts do sometimes, um, as a form of illusion, is to make you think you're listening to a coterie,
0: right? And, and and or for the people who are doing it, they're thinking, "Oh, my people are out there," or like the other the other ones are out there.
1: So, um, uh, as a consequence, I think we thought maybe we would develop this great. Coterie to start with um, you know having our friends on we did have our friends on it was pretty great it was nice to talk to Jed and um, Jed Barry and uh, Andy McAlpine <laughs> um, but um, that's not the same thing uh, you know we sort of directed the questioning we sort of outlined you know what questions we would ask what we would talk about um, and as it turns out um, we what we had to say I don't think was all that interesting
0: I think you're right about that but I and I and I'm wondering like oh yeah it's always it's always got to be interesting unless you just unless you're just getting a kick out of the um, Unless it could be anything, you know, unless it could, unless it's just something in the air like white noise.
1: Consequently, um, we're going to, um, we've been numbering the podcast as if they were seasons. This has been season one, and I think we're going to uh, pull the plug at episode six, Mm -hmm. and then decide how we're going to retool it.
0: Yes, that's correct. I actually think I'm going to take this opportunity to bring up mental health. Okay. Well, I think this podcast is a pretty good reflection of a certain amount of mental health, at least for me. For for instance, while I was on this podcast, I was on Trazodone, which I have stopped taking just yesterday. And I'm satisfied with my decision. Um, it is a drug, um, well, it's for major depression, and it's an atypical anti um, antidepre- atypical antidepressant, but the thing about it is, it kind of stops you. It stops you from going very far, like, it's like um, putting yourself on a short leash mentally, and I'll be kind of happy to get it up. Here's another thing. It's not like I'm going... It's not like I'm going off the deep end here. I know it's like a big red flag when people decide to... But this was always as um, needed. This is an as-needed one for insomnia. And I do have depression. But um, I'm stopping it because I really feel that it hinders my forward motion thinking. And I think that, you know... I feel like it's made me kind of a bad influence on you a little bit.
1: Oh, how do you mean?
0: Well, I guess it seems to be that... Like, I haven't... I don't think I've been challenging enough to some of your outrageous statements.
1: Like which ones?
0: Oh um just when you get really worked up about how shitty everything is you know because in the course of my life and I know it's not like this for everyone but my life started um it's put you this way it's gotten a lot better and i feel like part of that is just kind of realizing that i can only do what i can do and and that the organizing, like you, you, you the importance of organizing, w- which is something that you teach, you know, w- organizing together with people. And I know this was, this podcast was one way we were going to do that, but I just don't, I, you know, I, I think that maybe I was silent when I should have spoken up about, about judgments that were spoken a little bit you know and judgments as to how how things work because what I've found out is that it's in the uh, is that there are all sorts of places where things are happening in slightly different ways that are better you know
1: can you give me an example
0: yeah public access television for instance um that's just one example of a place that is open to people to put up their television programs. And if you take the course, you can, it's basically a creator studio in most major neighborhoods. And my friend Pearl and I are going to make a television program. I'm not really shill. I don't mean to shill for that, but then, but the thing is when I met up with Pearl, um, and going to her neighborhood instead of always doing it in my neighborhood, I, I kind of realized that people do things there. And people do things in the South Side in a different way. And it's people are more involved in, a, in each other's lives, for instance.
1: Can you talk a little bit about uh, Pearl and uh, where you met her?
0: I met Pearl Street Theater Y when I was a stage manager for Malaga, and she really loved the theater, so she came and just offered so much support and love, and and I, I, was, I, I was really bowled over by her, because she was, to me, I thought, this woman isn't afraid of anything, you know? And we got to be better friends in the next production where we were both actors, and Um, we're both driven people. We both want to put our work forward, you know, we both want that to happen. And so I, I guess I just, I, 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 I connected, I connected and, and she was willing to connect too, so.
1: Pearl has also played the character of Mo, a central character in recent productions of your, that is correct. De Niro play.
0: Yeah. And and she does her like she has her whole own industry, you know, that of for like singing and dialogue stuff like that.
1: Um, I think uh, her website is Black Pearl's World. Yeah, that's that right? right. Something like that. Yeah. Her name is Pearl Ramsey, mm-hmm. and we urge anyone, I guess, to check out her work. She's a multi-talented person yeah and an industry to herself you're right
0: and um somebody who's not shut off you know like like you think oh you think well when I'm an adult you won't believe the things I could do you think that way when you're a kid but then when and then you become an adult and you're like well now it's time to get all these you know and then you realize that everybody around not everybody but that so many people are all tired and 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 Like, they're, you know, keep, they're doing their routines. But Pearl's not like that. You're not like that either.
1: I'm a little like that. I'm tired all the time and I'm constantly in a routine of some sort.
0: Yeah, you are tired pretty often.
1: (laughs) So, I'm not like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, and I'm sorry, but I've actually felt, I, in the process of doing this, I was hoping it would make you feel better, too. Because sometimes I sense that that you're kind of sad. And I don't want you to be ever. And I was thinking, if we did this, this could be like a highlight. And you would, you know, whatever.
1: Well, mostly what it is, is just it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, Seeing the numbers comes in actually come in actually makes me a little sadder.
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs>
1: because um, it's it, it, it I, honestly listening to the podcast again. Uh, one helpful thing has been that I listen to the podcast and I think, oh right, that's what people don't like about me. Uh,
0: for one thing, people like you. Pearl loves you. People who meet you want to hug you. Hmm. I mean, that's how I felt meeting you. I remember what you were wearing and everything. It's it's you just you just feel bad about being opinionated.
1: Right. That's well, and that's pretty much all it is. When I'm on the podcast, is I'm very opinionated, and um, sometimes that opinion has no reason to be expressed.
0: Oh, I think it's expressed because there aren't too many reasonable people who are also socialists. So I tend to value it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not seeing it clearly.
1: But even then, like, I really, really talked a lot last time about how I got all of that game crap for free. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like the tone of my voice. And I never know that that is the tone of my voice until I hear it played back, which... One doesn't do all the time, right? One just goes around talking. Oh, yeah. So actually hearing the way I do things, I don't know, it's given me some pause. Um, So um, I was really, really bored with myself in the last podcast. I can't imagine anybody being interested in what I had to say. And, um, you know... uh, The numbers seem to reflect that. People aren't really listening to the podcast. It'll be interesting to see who is still around listening to hear this sort of final broadcast.
0: Yes, that would be interesting. Here's a question, and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of asking myself too. What do you think we could do differently that would make both the process more fun... I mean, I think you're a perfectionist. You are. You like things to be, like, you like things to not be bullshitty. You know, that's like your selection of music was kind of impeccable, you know, because it was it was both generic and a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it was also catchy. And I thought, well, perfect example. And we did find out who wrote that piece. Mm-hmm. So, but I will say to you that I I could edit it.
1: (laughs) Sure, of course.
0: You know, and that would mean that you would not have to put so much work in it, though you would be subject to my choices. Though, uh, um, I, I could play it for you. I mean, for instance, I could edit this one, if you would like that.
1: Sure, that's fine. Um, but the, uh, the question still remains that I think we both agree that we have had very little to actually talk about.
0: It's true. Well, the things that I'm interested in aren't things that can be proved at all. They're just kind of thoughts that I have of intersections that I find interesting. Do Could you, you explain one? I will give you one right now. The very first airing on television of Doctor Who happened the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated.
1: That is an awesome thing to know.
0: I know. And has anybody ever seen it? Well, I have. And it's amazing. And the whole time travel thing is basically like taking a piece of paper, crumpling it up, and then pouring ink on top of that.
1: Is that how he demonstrates it in the very first Doctor Who?
0: Even better. He doesn't even bring any attention to it. He just does it. It's amazing. It's like... It's it's so full of information.
1: I'm fighting to express my own opinion about the Doctor Who's that I've seen. Granted, I've never seen the Doctor Who you're talking about—the very first iteration.
0: Yeah, the first iteration, um, in spite of itself, the the grand it's. The doctor has a granddaughter. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just say that it's not, it's not some, it's, he's not vampiring off a young woman.
1: Like all the other Doctor Who's They
0: do seem like, it does make him really seem like a freaking vampire. I have to say that. Like, like, what's this like timeless man doing with a young woman? Like sucking out her life force, you know, like ravaging her imagination. But the thing about it that what I, and okay, yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm 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 a little on guard, but the but but in this one, it's the doctor's legitimate granddaughter. There's a connection there that and and it's like a, a real bond.
1: See, uh, it's more fun when you rant than when I rant.
0: Oh, I disagree. I like your ranting. Uh, yeah, I especially <laughs> I like your ranting, Greg. I guess that's why we love each other. Sure, of course. <laughs>
1: Um, so, uh, anyway, but
0: that's one thing, but it's not like, like, I can't, I can't make a, a paper. I can't like, you know what I mean? I can't like explain that stuff. It's like intuitive, interesting to me. And a lot of people would be like, oh God, what bullshit garbage that is. And I would be like, well, sure, maybe to you. But you know, for me, it's like kind of an exciting concept of thinking about folding up, you know, the plane of, you know, our visible world and forces and putting a, you know, super dense fluid through it as, as, as though that is what our minds are.
1: The person who rebooted Doctor Who, um, in the, you know, in the 2000s was the same person Uh, who did Years and Years, the television show we just watched together.
0: Oh, no kidding.
1: And I have the same problems with the rebooted Doctor Who as I do with this Years and Years television program.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't really talk about it without... Should I spoil it's our last thing I'm gonna As spoil him, it spoil everything. yeah, I'll spoil everything. I'll, I'll just say, yeah, it comes to the conclusion that love is all that matters, which is a little which okay, and I accept that that's how I genuinely feel, but I also feel like it's a slightly neurotic it, it, there there's something that like just like there's something neurotic about Doctor who where it never he he never readit well never seriously looks over his life. You know what I mean? Well,
1: yeah, that seems true. But, I mean, for me, I just, it's Doctor Who is a series of Doctor Who and whatever companions he has getting trapped in um a box. Yeah. Um, and then, at some point realizing he has a sonic screwdriver and then they get out of the box. Like, it's just that, over and over and over again. And Now and again, they will pause the the interactions uh, once per episode, maybe, to talk about some emotional resonance they have. Like, uh, could it be that the Doctor and his companion are falling in love? Well, we dismiss that. It's a much more complicated relationship than that. Or, Doctor Who will come to realize that the sonic screwdriver itself is powered by the power of love. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know whatever like it's it's uh it's this over it's almost like this palimpsest of various tv sentimentalities yeah um you know it as far as pl- like the sentimental plot direction yeah. sentimental writing mm-hmm. as well as actual sentiment that's um r- it, it in a combination that is like nails scraping against a chalkboard
0: for me that's why pedophysics helps us And it's like you wish that the writers of Doctor Who late, late Doctor Who, like late, late in the game Doctor Who, you wish that they would take a genuine class in pataphysics.
1: I think it'd be great if there was a Doctor, uh, uh, an Alfred Jerry um, show that happened as regularly as uh, Doctor Who and Alfred Jerry uh, just keeps uh, showing up um, to, you know, early 20th century salons and... um, you know, messing with everybody's perceptions and then leaving just as if he were Doctor Who showing up in the modern world and showing everybody the world billions of years hence.
0: This is what I would like to see. I would like to see Alfred Jari enter maximum security prisons and show to every single guard inside the twisted bunch of scenarios that made people get into the jail in the first place and like, and show them like clear ladders where, where people could like sort of either soar off or, you know, like if it were in, oh, his explanation of sterility, for example, which would be the opposite of that. And for just like, Getting excellent metaphysical um, explanations for diabolical things that make that would make the people who were running them converts, you know, convert. They they would open the jail, you know, they would like open it and like you know, just like. They would open it and, like, do some kind of crazy thing, like, with teaspoons of sand. Just, like, making an... This sort of thing, you know? Like, you take all of this pent-up energy and you do something amazing. Or even, like... Even just, like, inverting it. Inverting the place itself and taking it over and making it somehow like a beautiful greenhouse.
1: You're talking about Elf, the Alfred Jerry TV show, so.
0: Yeah, but I, I, instead of being chaotic neutral, he'd be chaotic good. Gotcha. I think he was chaotic neutral.
1: You read the super Supermail, didn't you?
0: Um, I started it, but I didn't finish it. He's a little samey for me.
1: Wait, wait, you don't like, Alf- you like pataphysics, but you don't like Alfred Jerry.
0: That's exactly true.
1: Okay, all right, yeah. got it.
0: He's a little samey for me. I like Leonora Carrington. Yes. She's my fave surrealist, though she hated to be called a surrealist.
1: Because the people who ran Surrealism were a bunch of bullies and jerks, as I mentioned before.
0: Yeah, and she's a spirited woman who wouldn't take it. Good for her. Yeah, she was great.
1: Um, So let's say we start a second season
0: Mm
1: -hmm. of The Distractables. What would you like to do with that second season?
0: I would like to introduce an element of randomness, and I'd like to edit at least half of the episodes.
1: You can edit all of them as far as I'm concerned. I, I, don't, I don't find the process of editing very fun.
0: Well, I would like to task you with coming up with the interstitial music.
1: Okay, I have a feeling that um, should our podcast survive at all, I think all of the ones we've done so far uh, might be taken down because of the music I've used. Um, because, uh, while it sort of advertises itself, the work of Luke Vibert, mm-hmm. um, it's, and his it's, curation.
0: It's not his, it's not his work. This was, this, the music on the web, on the podcast is by an Italian composer who's still alive.
1: Right. But he composed it for, um, for, uh, sound, fi- like free sound files, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, music libraries. Um, So I thought we were free and clear to use it. And it's unrecognizable enough that maybe we still are free and clear to use it. I just, um, finding interstitial music, my point is, is is kind of hard. We're going to have to go to one of those free sound places and use some uh, common license stuff.
0: I like using GarageBand. When I did the video, The Foil, I took GarageBand loops, and I just messed around with GarageBand loops. And then I just put that at the end and um, Pearl liked it. Mm -hmm. And I consider her kind of like a connoisseur. Great. Yeah, so, I mean, all I'm saying is that, like, all we got to do is get a couple of, like, garage band sessions and it should be all right.
1: So introduce an element of randomness. Mm -hmm. How do we sustain that for week after week? Dice. But what do the dice tell us?
0: Well, you have so many different kinds of dice.
1: But what do they tell us?
0: Well, you have one dice. That, well, they tell us numbers. There are some that give us colors. There are some that give us terrain. There are some that um, I don't know if you have, have alphabet di- dice. Do you?
1: I've got poker dice.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know. It seems like it seems like we could have like a list of associations and then just decide which dice to roll.
1: My experience is that randomness works really well when it's going, when you're really on a tear, mm-hmm. but that it um, burns itself out very quickly Oh. and, and leaves you with uh, no blueprint to go on in the future except looking for the next time uh, that randomness works out.
0: Here's something that I know to be um, a tried-and-true method. You take a book... That you have a lot of respect for. Mm-hmm. You flip flip through it so that every page is activated. You open it up randomly. You close your eyes and you put your finger on the book. Mm-hmm. You write down that word and you do it 9 to 11 more times.
1: You write the word itself down. Yes, you do. Okay. And then what happens?
0: Oh, and then you write the other and then you, do, and you repeat the process.
1: Okay. I, I, until you have a sentence or a paragraph.
0: Until you, uh, like I say, um, it'll be, I think, nine word sentences are standard. So are 11.
1: Hmm.
0: You do, and then you make sense of it.
1: Should we try that right now?
0: Let's do it. Okay, give me a minute. Should I, let it go, should I let it go low? Yeah, no, go, keep it going. No, I'll just keep talking then. Over here in Chicago on August 24th, right, Greg? It is the 24th. Um, on August 24th, 2019, it is 5 p.m. in Chicago in the Rogers Park neighborhood. It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Okay, I'm going to find the words. You're going to write them down, okay? Okay. Oh, you got a thing I could write on. What's this? Chaos okay, Oh,
1: that was a big one. Okay, got it. Well, that thing's not going to work here. Use this. All right, I got it. Okay, I'm going to do this with, uh, with intention. Which, which book should I use? I should give a quick um, shout out to my library. I finally unpacked most of my library after buying a bookshelf um, to add to the one I had, uh, and it's uh, been kind of nice seeing all my old books around. Uh, should I use George R Stewart's names on the land, or should I use Alfred Jarry's The Supermail, which I just thought of?
0: Let's let's go with The Supermail, just because we mentioned it.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna point to a random one, and you're gonna write, uh, you're gonna write the word down. I find
0: that's correct. Now you gotta rifle you gotta rifle it in both directions a couple of times. Okay. The number of times that seems right, but you gotta activate the pages. You know what I mean? Yep. Okay.
1: Sexagenarian.
0: Sexagenarian. Okay, we're going
1: to do this nine times.
0: Nine to eleven. Or I should say nine or eleven.
1: Sangrado. Thoroughbred. I'm getting all the complicated ones.
0: Seems like it. You're doing, you're doing great. Your eyes are so lively. Was that so? Yeah.
1: Nonsense. I like it. I guess when you look through an Alfred Jerry book, these are the kind of words you're gonna get, right? I guess. Ovum. Ovum. You tell me what i am done because I'm not really talented here.
0: Sure I will. Mm-hmm.
1: Astonished. This must be really boring to actually listen to though, right? It's not
0: boring. People are doing it at home.
1: Okay. Silhouette. I'm still getting all the ten cent words.
0: No verbs yet. I
1: know. She.
0: She. Oh, uh,
1: that was a blank page.
0: Who? That's nine. Let's go for eleven.
1: Okay. No verbs.
0: I know. <laughs> Holding out for a verb.
1: <laughs> House. One more. Girl. You care to be Dexagenarian, sangrado, thoroughbred, nonsense, ovum, astonished, silhouette, she, who, house, girl. There's a certain sense to be made out of that.
0: Sure. Sagrado is the location.
1: Sagrado is the name of a character, if I remember. It's been years since I've read this. But we couldn't do a podcast doing that over and over again, could we? No, we
0: couldn't. But we we could do it beforehand and then just come up with it and then just bring it to the bring it to the bring it to the plate.
1: Let's explore um, a little more um, closely the idea of podcasts. We have. I listen to podcasts a lot. You do not.
0: It's true. I don't.
1: In fact, I think you've said that you have a hard time finding any podcasts that you like.
0: That is correct, but there are some that I like very much.
1: Could you tell me one of them?
0: One of them is um, the Judge John Hodgman podcast.
1: Judge John Hodgman has a very friendly voice.
0: He sure does, yeah.
1: I remember him from long ago, back when I was a regular writer on McSweeney's. Um, taking a trip to New York and meeting all the other people who were regular writers at McSweeney's uh, just a year after it started. Um, And uh, uh, John Hodgman was the host. Um, Way back in the day, this was actually before they started their first store. Um, It was at a Brooklyn location. I can't remember the name of it. Um, And I met him and he was very nice.
0: I'm not surprised
1: Um, They would also have um, events in Chicago And we would often host uh, the events in Chicago Or do, you know, in that way I met Lawrence Krauser One of the first novelists they published Um, We all went to what was then called the Division Street Bathhouse Had the reading in the bathhouse And went into the bathhouse
0: Oh, that's so cool!
1: Um, unfortunately, it meant the author split off with the boys and went into the boys' side because uh, the uh, and all the women had to go into the women's side, and because that's the way the that bathhouse was organized. Uh, so that was not the best p- planned.
0: Right, not transgender friendly.
1: It was not at all. Um, nevertheless, those I remember those times fondly. I remember him fondly. And um, I'm really impressed by his level of success.
0: Yeah. that um, I was impressed when I saw him at the public library in Philadelphia when I lived there. And he was on an event with Amy Sedaris mm-hmm. and um, a bunch of other people. And he was singing these hobo songs. He's really funny.
1: <laughs> he was definitely the funniest part of that whole coterie, um, for sure. Some of that stuff has not aged very well in the McSweeney's organization itself. Um, I don't know if that's aged very well, but um, but he's remained pretty much himself throughout the whole thing. Even when he's playing a doctor on Battlestar Galactica, he's still kind of himself. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Um, I don't always listen to that podcast. Um, I'm always entertained by it, but I don't find myself wondering like oh when's the next one going to be or boy I can't wait to hear the next one I think in part um, part part of it has to do with the um, what has happened to podcasts in recent years They, since we started our podcast and ended it back in like 2011, 2012 um, podcasts have exploded in this way where it's really hard to get a grasp of What's happening with them? Um, except that they're conglomerating in a way that's kind of makes me sick.
0: Oh, you mean uh, like you can hear this on Stitcher, and Stitcher is like—is that what you mean? A,
1: a little bit. I mean, the business of it is, is has become a thing where uh, you know before we simply uploaded some software, uh, got a little help, uh, and uh, you know from from the technical staff at Amherst Media. Um, and just sent things directly to iTunes. Now, it seems as if there's a whole lot of tiers of paying various Internet 2.0 entities money in order to get your podcast out, mm. which is pretty depressing. Sure. Because uh, it, it means that the gold rush is over and all the people, only people who got rich were the people selling the shovels mm. and the picks, you know. Um, but... Uh, no, there are literal conglomerates now. One of those is the maximum fun network, mm-hmm. which is um, what John Hodgman is on, and that his guest bailiff, Jesse Thorne, um, is the um, is, is, a, is a, the person who runs the whole thing seems to have made a living out of it all. Um, and whose voice I just don't like. But then again, I just expressed a dislike for my own voice, so. What are you going to do?
0: Oh, I like Jesse Thorne because he's the one who taught me about what it means to punch down. Like, And Mm. also he defends the women on the show from, like, idiots. Like, there was one case where a woman's boyfriend always would pop out to scare her, and she had a very exaggerated startle response, and she told him to not do it, but he kept doing it. I mean, that was the sort of thing that I was like, you got to lose this guy. He's a sadist, you know, but But, but but she she liked him enough. And then Jesse Thorne was like, actually got the guy on the phone and talked some sense into him.
1: But aren't those behaviors kind of condoned by having a whole show dedicated to these little petty annoyances that people do against each other? You know, where everybody gets to air them out like, like, isn't the point that they're not that serious? And so... Yeah, they're um, not that
0: serious. But there's a... But there's a... But it's a, it's really about respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like... Look, you might think it's hilarious to scare somebody who's got like a startle response problem. Because mm-hmm. I don't really... It's very uncool to have... You know, you might think that's funny or no big deal. But actually, it is kind of a big deal. <laughs> And actually, when you take pleasure in that, it's kind of sadistic because it's like, it's it's like a. I mean, yeah, I know it's not that big a deal. Of course, it's not that big a deal. It's not like, oh, this guy stole my kidney. Oh my god, and it was my father. What an ass, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's not like that's that's some outrageous stuff. But this is the these are the things that wear you down. The little these little like things that wear you down.
1: I think we agree that the John Ju- judge judge hard to say Mm. the judge john hodgman podcast is enjoyable to listen to and what
0: more do you really want right what about you what podcast do you like
1: well i guess maybe we should just talk about our very favorites like i've got a i've got a few i listen to podcasts all day long it's what i do when i paint sometimes it's what i do when i work Mm -hmm. i listen to podcasts and audiobooks and stuff okay um for two years, I've been listening to the Chapo Trap House. Mm-hmm. Um, for a year, I listened to them without realizing how much money they made. Mm-hmm. They make money hand over fist. Well, um, for a while, I really was under the illusion that for about a year of listening to them, that they were just a bunch of dirtbags talking about leftist politics in their you know where do they basement. Get the,
0: where do they get the money from?
1: All from Patreon. In fact, I. I'm a little, I'm a, I find it a little, their, their, their structure is so simple, right? They Mm -hmm. put things up on SoundCloud and then they have a Patreon with the, the least amount of language you could imagine, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but they are saying things that people really want to hear that aren't being said anywhere else. And this goes in a couple of different directions. Um... You know, they're, they're officially, they're just like really strong supporters of anybody who uh, would run as a socialist, mm-hmm. right? And in particular, their hope that in the future, workers can take autonomy and um, run their businesses uh, in place of their bosses who do not deserve to profit like parasites off of the work we do. Um, That's a a pretty standard issue socialism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But they have expressed it by supporting Bernie Sanders, who they see as a step in that direction. Now, one way or another, no matter how you feel about this, what they generate, other than lots of money, is lots of ire. Ire? From whom? Well, um, not as much from the right, because um, the right doesn't understand these issues. but So the first thing they do is to see whether or not leftists are fighting. And if they're fighting, they're just smart enough to leave that alone, um, right? You know, people who speak and discuss things on the right have no ideological basis for what they're talking about, so they can never, like, actually engage in these discussions without destroying themselves. So most of the ire comes pretty much from their left, And then from a little bit from their right, from like, so there are a whole bunch of Clinton supporters who think they're wild-eyed crazies who don't deserve their popularity. And um, a small coterie of probably much smarter communists who think of them as being, um, you know, deluded at best in terms of how... Uh, worker autonomy is going to come about certainly not through they say someone like Bernie Sanders
0: do they invest their profits in making worker friendly like means of productions
1: and this is the point I'm coming to uh, they seem to invest their profits mostly on uh, going around uh, to comical locations and burning them. They're very smart about this, like they just went to the Iowa state fair mm-hmm. um. They seem to do, uh, self-admittedly, a lot of cocaine. And uh, they're uh, getting more and more paranoid f- with each episode. Oh, really? Um,
0: so it's like a saga.
1: It's a little bit of a saga where they're, they're, I think, discovering the fact that they're in this weird position where they have lots of money um, and um, are formulating um, ideas and policies, which, you know, are up for, you know, whatever up for debate. Um, and they're just probably at this point now where they're getting, um, a lot of flack for it. And, you know, they're getting flack for it on places like social media and all these dark, mossy, clouded areas that basically describe our social sphere. Um, which breed paranoia what, you and mean, gross like, feelings. Like 4chan? Sure, but I mean, their biggest... I mean, is that what you're talking about? Well, their, their, their biggest chat room is on Reddit. Oh, Reddit, right, right. right. Where what? the most virulent, you know, like you know, really virulent racists sort of exist just on the substrata. Um, it, it's become a sour experience listening to them.
0: But what do you like about it?
1: Um... They're very funny. And in the end, they express most closely, I think, my feeling about politics and the way it should be expressed, which is with a lot of humor, a little bit of disgust, and with a pretty, um, with an eye towards empowering workers. Um, my problems with them are few, um, one of which, though, is that they're, they are increasingly paranoid and though it doesn't come directly from their coterie, they have like other podcasts they're friendly with, particularly, uh, you know, there's this one called Red Scare mm-hmm. where they're just starting to get a little mean, uh-huh. you know, and they're starting to like quote fascists like Camille Paglia about, you know, like, basically just calling leftists ugly Mm. (laughs) you know what i mean and and elevating that to a moral standard
0: Uh, that's too bad
1: so it, it it's you know it it's always been a little weird on the right but now things are getting weird on the left so you asked me is that my favorite podcast and i guess increasingly no it's not it always has to be the Tom Sharpling podcast Oh, for me, yeah, yeah. Which I've been listening to ever since it was a radio show. Oh, that's right. Um, but I really started listening to it because he turned it into a podcast. Because I could never be there on Tuesday nights. Because uh, whenever I was in New York, when I lived in New York, I always worked on Tuesday nights. I couldn't listen to it.
0: Oh, well, tell us about Tom Sharpling, Greg.
1: Tom Sharpling is from New Jersey. I mean, I feel like both he and Chapo are so well known at this point
0: well what makes him interesting it's not like he has a degree in entertainment or anything
1: because he uh probably what makes him interesting to me is his uh he's a fatalistic white dude Mm. um who's who's funny um he often does a comedy routine with john wooster in which he plays the straight man and john wooster the drummer Superchunk plays a host of wacky characters uh, but mostly what i like about him is his interaction with callers
0: yeah that's good
1: um and uh he's got a regular cast of callers um and he just it reminds me there's nothing else out there that reminds me of the old art bell days mm-hmm. where you just have this person who's perfectly situated in a sort of irascible sort of way to take the collars of other irascible people.
0: But Art Bell was never irascible. He was a wide-eyed guy. and, and, and he, but, but he was very paranoid.
1: That's, I'm using irascible as a catch-all for many different things. Oh. I really wish there could be another Art Bell. But Tom Sharpling is as close as it gets, mm. I think um i don't have any interest in sports i think a lot of this exists on sports talk radio Mm -hmm. but i just don't care about it sure so this is like sports talk radio kind of for people who are into um indie rock and collecting weird you know like flavors of oreo
0: sure that, that is an actual thing on the program. And let me just say, just because he's a white fatalist doesn't mean he is racist or sexist. Because he isn't.
1: No, I'm just saying, I, yeah, that's right. He's not. In fact, he's whatever. I, you, thank you for saying that. Sure. Um, I think it would be great to corner a market on doing a radio talk show for literary people. But I overestimate how, because it's been my world for so long, and because so many of the people I've ever known intersect with writing somehow, I overestimate just how many people there are. And in fact, I can't think of very many podcasts devoted to literature that I like to listen to at all. They're, they're so somnolent and dull Do you listen to any writing podcasts?
0: No, I don't.
1: Do you listen to the poem a day?
0: Oh, well, that's not a podcast. It's, um, the Poetry Foundation. You can subscribe and get an audio poem each day. And it doesn't have any commentary. It's just a poem read to you. Mm -hmm. Some of them are great. Like, really super. The last one that I heard was, uh, Patricia Smith.
1: Oh, she's good. Yeah. Um... Poetry the the other thing I've been listening to lately are there's a, been a whole host of of um, socialist or Marxist poetry podcasts that have come out. No
0: kidding yeah you the know, they
1: they, um, um, they, uh, they can be very interesting. Marxist poetry is pretty good. Um, Prol sound is uh, can be funny sometimes. Um,
0: what country are they out of?
1: Um, I think they're both American. Um, and, they, and they talk to a pretty small um, group of people. Many of them um, are, uh, have sort of habituated themselves to Paint Bucket, an online poetry magazine, which um, their only editorial claim is that um, they'll read anything twice. And if they understand it the second time, um, it's worthy of publication. Mm,
0: okay.
1: Um, and also that it'd be Maoist in nature. Uh. Do I understand that? I don't. I, I understand Mao as a person who brought communism to agricultural settings. Uh, that's kind of how I could. I guess there's a whole theoretical underpinning to saying you're Maoist, which has a lot more to do with having a cultural bent. Uh, but i really don't understand it and i really don't care to because i have so little sympathy with most communists because they can't they don't seem capable of getting workers together to form a mass revolt of any sort
0: i don't want to engage in violence i feel like that's a problem
1: Sure, but a revolt can be um, can be subversive or silent or, or, you know, corrosive from within or well, peaceful or love-based. Here's what um, I'd like
0: to see revolt-wise. Mm-hmm. I would like it if everybody just stopped buying the garbage that they sell in dollar stores and, like, all of that. And I know you've made the comment that, like, it doesn't matter because... But what if we just, like, try to what like what if we just
1: You mean like plastic straws and stuff. Yeah. To be fair, what I've said is not that it doesn't matter, but that your individual contribution to stopping waste uh and the degradation of the environment is infinitesimal compared to what putting pressure on corporations to do the same thing through political action rather than individual pull yourself up by your bootstraps action
0: i know but this is just this is my fantasy right Because it's my anarchist fantasy mm-hmm. that everybody will like and and that it, this my anarchist fan, fantasy is that everybody'll turn their backs on the corporations <laughs> and, like and go up and like and, and that would be like they're coming of age. They would be like, I'm going to see what I can do on my own and I'm going to come of age, you know, and then some people will come back and be like, no, I kind of like it this way, you know, the way it used to be before I took a, you know, a, a break. And then other people will be like, hey, this is great. I finally found what I like to do, you know.
1: Well, it seems like there are two alternatives that are that are both uh, equally frightening and but possible and better than what we're doing. And one is um, one is, we try to survive as best we can and then go back to the land, remembering the games and poems we learned uh, during this time of progress and start growing things. And I think that this actually involves a massive human die-off, which would be very good for the Earth, but not good for us. Or the other alternative... Which is, we say to people, oh, look, it looks like you can centralize the economy in a very powerful way and have it not fail. Look at all the corporations. Mm -hmm. So we simply take the corporations away from the 100 or so billionaires that run them and run them ourselves, Mm -hmm. distributing the wealth they produce among us automating tasks we don't want to do um using ever uh more impressive technology and um live you know head towards that ENM bank's future um in which we work you know uh, a, a few hours a week and find actual things to do with our lives for the rest of the time
0: Which podcast do you hate?
1: Oh, that's a good... That's, well, I mean, the thing about podcasts... Okay, so I guess maybe something I listened to for a while um, before the... Uh, or just after Trump was elected, because I was trying to take in as much information as I could, was um, a series of Slate podcasts, which basically expressed alarm about the state of things. Mm-hmm. Um, And increasingly, uh, in particular, the Trump cast. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Their one lasting contribution is that one of the um, contributors to the Trump cast, who's also a writer for Slate, sort of broke the Stormy Daniels story. Mm -hmm. Um, Their helplessness. But also combined with their smugness, that they knew they were right, these sort of, you know, right-wing, uh, but-to-the-left-of-Trump mm-hmm. figures who basically just run, you know, new, most of the forms of news media we we're allowed to read or that are, you know, omnipresent in our lives, hearing them talk and attempt to make jokes and put on skits Mm. and just generally try to make the news an entertaining thing, Mm. uh, interspersed with um, advertisements Mm. and interviews with other journalists about why we're all wrong about what we think about Trump and what we can do next Mm. um, to elect the next Clinton into office or whatever, that is probably my least favorite podcast. I'm sure that there are some podcasts out there that are virulently worse like the joe rogan podcast but i've never actually heard the joe rogan podcast sure what about you
0: well i never told you my second my second favorite podcast
1: oh i didn't know we were oh yeah okay tell me your second favorite podcast
0: um cocaine and rhinestones which is about country music
1: and here's another take we could have for our own podcast which is should we ever do a season two? Just research something deeply, yeah, and talk about it.
0: I like it. I like that model. He's a really, uh, very likable, very likable host of this program, and 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 he can't disguise that he really cares about all of the players. are stories about pu- country music uh, and country uh, singers of country uh, of country music. I uh, that uh, Ernest Tubbs, for instance, and uh, Loretta Lynn and etc.
1: they're really deep dives yeah. um, into um, into the subjects, and he has, for instance, a three part series on uh, the creation of Harper Valley PTA yeah, which is amazing
0: There's um, the Leuven Brothers.
1: The host is Tyler Mahan Co. He's,
0: pretty um,
1: good. he's the son of country musician David Allen Co. and grew up in the industry. Okay. Something tells me he has um, a a deep background. Oh yeah. Just going into it and more time than many of the rest of us usually have to devote to the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, so that what he does, which is totally extraordinary and valuable even if you're not already a country music fan um, um, but really hard to replicate
0: Oh yeah we we couldn't be him because he's him and also um though I, mean, I though I care very much for country music, I don't think I would have the wherewithal to to you know like I wouldn't do a country music podcast. But let's
1: say we decided we wanted to do a deep dive into poetry okay right. Mm -hmm. Which could be interesting. Like, I could see, like, doing an episode on, you know, like a two-part episode on um, uh, Mina Loy and Arthur Cravan, Mm -hmm. for instance. Could be really interesting, but would involve hours and hours of research. (laughs) Um,
0: You know, I'm not that interested in Mina Loy because she was a eugenicist. I like um, Gertrude Stein, and I'm curious about after Gertrude Stein died, the way Gertrude Stein's family basically cut off, um, the way they cut off Alice B. Toklas, huh. and and left you know kind of left like dis-, dis disavowed any kind of acknowledgement that she might that she m- might be worthy of having you know the apartment you know just this stuff Gertrude Stein's family was very wealthy I don't know if she got along that well with her brother her brother called her an idiot all the time publicly even
1: that would be that would be a super interesting podcast Uh, well that is that's the one that's so far of all the ideas we've mentioned about what to do with the podcast in the future Mm -hmm. that is the top idea Doing oh. in-depth um, reports about writers, sure. aspects of them that that we know that maybe younger people uh, don't know.
0: Well, I think the thing about writers is that they're um, unless they're independently wealthy, mm-hmm. like they all sh- struggle with money. You know that that money is a big part of their. You know, because obviously their writing, which is I don't think people ever got totally rich being a writer, or at least the writers we like never really, you know, so you can't really think, oh, I mean, unless they're like a total megalomaniac, but you can't really think, oh, this guy did it for the money. Mm -hmm. You would be like, well, this guy had something to say, you know, and when I use guy, I, I kind of mean it as a broad term. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in that because I do, I do wonder how people make it, how they survive, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, this is like surviving in spite of everyone, you know, and then writing it down and then you're like, well, I'm going to write it down because in the future, maybe everybody won't be so deluded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think the economic aspect of being a writer would be interesting to me, you know, story wise.
1: What's your least favorite podcast?
0: I don't get Welcome to Night Vale. To me, it's a weird combination of like, like derivative Twilight Zone episodes and a kind of push-buttony smarminess where people have figured out, oh, this, you know, like this will goose you, you know, like a, like a malevolent pothead.
1: I've had a very yeah I agree I, I've never I, I don't I don't understand it either it's a it's it's a massive success maybe it's fallen off a little bit since its initial round of success but it's um, it's uh, it's so pokey it's so like slowly paced and. Is it supposed to be funny or are you supposed to get engaged with the characters? Because neither of those things are true.
0: I got to admit that I've only like listened to it when I used to work at a restaurant and one of, one of my coworkers, who I considered a friend, he loved it. He absolutely loved it and he'd play it. And I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to be like, oh God, turn that off. Like only once in my life have I done that. Mm-hmm. I try to be pretty tolerant. And... And, and I, so therefore I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is some shit. This so wh- is some low-grade shit.
1: Yeah, the loving it part. Like, there are people who love it and I just, I wish someone could explain.
0: It's geek sarcasm. Is that what it is? It's the geek sarcasm back again, hmm. you know, like, we're smart, you're a dope, like, you believe in ghosts or you are, or, you know what I mean, like, you hmm. could just sort of like goose a population, you know, by... Sort of, you know how people do. They're like, "Oh, the worst thing in the world is to be stupid." It's like, is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, like I,
1: I can see. Like my first impression that was that I thought it'd be like a podcast that would have like that would be like the Adams fam, like the original um, Charles Adams cartoons or something. That'd you be know? great. That would be. But how do you do that? Because those are. One shot cartoons with a single, like, visual gag and then some lot, you know, New Yorkerish line underneath it that were usually macabre and, and those were pretty good, right? But yeah, the
0: atmosphere was in the drawing.
1: This is like, A, like, I can't tell. Is it supposed to be a news report? And why is it a news report about this little community? And why does the person sound like a child who's doing all the reading? And yeah, you, it sounds kind of snotty.
0: I never, I never went that deep, but it's just one that I knew I didn't like, and I don't really pay too much, it, like I don't spend too much of my time listening to podcasts, mm-hmm. like because I really want to listen to all of the cocaine and rhinestones, and Judge John Hodgman comes out all the time, so, no. so on a good. on a on a fairly regular basis. So it's right. not like I have to cast around, you know.
1: So, uh, but here's. Here's the, here's maybe the final thought as we're talking about podcasts, um, which is we've often talked about doing radio plays.
0: Oh, I would love this. But, but. I would, I would love th- it. I would love for it. To, uh, yeah.
1: I'm going to put out a controversial, controversial opinion here. Okay. There has not been a good radio play done outside of the BBC in 60 years.
0: How do you know this, Because Greg?
1: every single one I've tried to listen to has been unbearable at a welcome to Night
0: Vale level. What about Super Ego?
1: Okay, good, good counterpoint.
0: They are brilliant.
1: Well, they're gone now.
0: But Super and Ego, so good.
1: It's really weird to think because you'd think that podcasting and improvisation would be a perfect match. There's so many improvers out there who work at a really high level um, that you'd think that it would be a snap, that there would be a lot of really funny improv comedy shows out. But I've listened to one or two, and the only good one is Super Ego, which stopped running uh, episodes like three or four years ago.
0: Yeah, they are brilliant.
1: Um, I totally recommend it and you're right that is a a really great exception but be honest with me when you've heard people do scripted radio plays the few times you've had it, have you considered them successful
0: you okay Uh, it's not that easy to write a radio play no i wouldn't think so it's 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 almost harder
1: Mm-hmm. And so certainly something that would be in way hard to do, like, twice a week.
0: I agree. There are many podcasts that, like, will accept 10-minute plays and then, you know, pretty much air them. And there stuff like are, that. really? Uh, yeah, there Which are. Which ones? Well, there's one called Amy's Horse. Have you heard of that one? That's the one you bounced to me a few years ago.
1: Huh, I guess I don't remember that.
0: Um, and let do me... You,
1: but- have you been listening to it regularly? I have not. Why not?
0: Um, I like comedy. Yeah. Comedy is my thing. Like, here's what I consider a gold standard. The revamped 2005 version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for radio.
1: hmm BBC. Yeah. This is why I'm like saying... they
0: really good yeah, at... I give the m- BBC a pass. They're really good at that stuff, man yeah oh wait okay so no i haven't i haven't found i haven't found one but i'm a big i'm a i'm a big believer in superego
1: yeah so there so do you think that's a formula we could do
0: the improv one yeah i don't know i think we definitely need a lot more people with a lot more talent
1: my feeling exactly
0: yeah I mean, I see us as more of the people who want it, who who know how to make things happen, and who could be, like, minor characters like Alfred Hitchcock in each one.
1: So to wrap things up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: say we do a second season. Yeah. What do you want to see out of a second season of The Distractables?
0: Um, for a second season... More field recordings of what? Of new neighborhoods.
1: How you mean like interviewing, um, interviewing the guys at the Jewel Osco
0: Not exactly. More like. Meeting somebody in a new neighborhood and you know, somebody who, like, uh, you know, like, well, the mechanics laid bare, but where we travel, where we're not always, you know what I mean? Like, the mechanics of trying to get a radio play podcast out there laid bare by bringing the recorder and to other people's neighborhoods. Rather than just staying at home. And I, I have to say I do think that's a key element in is is getting out there and, you know, letting life interfere.
1: Okay. But I'm still confused about what we'd be recording.
0: Oh, we'd be recording some behind the scenes footage for our plays for the plays that are brought to us.
1: You mean we would put on whole plays and the podcast would be the behind the scenes scenes footage of the creation of the play
0: what about this what if we go to a play what what if we email people who do work that we love um who are making plays and we say we'd love to record some of this for a podcast can you think of a, of a part of your play that would be particularly appropriate and could we record it like as a way to boost your show and for us to kind of, so like the work will already have been done. We'll rely on the director or the art, you know, to put it together. Then we'd, we'd go, we'd record it, and um, then we'd maybe talk about it and maybe get to talk to somebody who is doing it.
1: You mean, well, like
0: Like, for instance, The Ballad of Lefty and Crab. That would be a perfect example of something to get like their terrific... Like one of their amazing, terrific numbers, you know?
1: Well, here's something we used to do is we, the, the, our, the basis of our podcast was to go out and record readers reading mm-hmm. and then put them up. And I have a feeling that was a big source of um, our audience were just people who wanted to see Jacqueline Waters or mm-hmm. John Beer or um, other people read their work. But to my mind, um, one of the problems with that method um, is that we were devoting a lot of our effort to other people's work. And um, though we never profited from it, should we ever profit from it, it means we're profiting from someone else's work. Mm -hmm. And we would have to come up with some sort of structure. To give back to them in a way that would make sense
0: well it's true we didn't require any money from that and this time it's a patreon
1: yeah but we don't make any money we make less than five dollars on the patreon okay it's another thing i'll be canceling soon i think
0: okay i guess I don't know, Greg. I guess I just mean like I kinda do miss the reading because it wasn't us, you know, and it was sort of like the jewel of each old podcast. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I really love theater and I and it and it'd be nice to just get like a sample, you mm-hmm. know, of something that we think is amazing. Like tomorrow we're going to see Casa Valentina. Yeah, that would be
1: yeah, but I really doubt that we could no, talk to, to anyone and record n- the... Not
0: in this short notice. I mean, it's possible. It is certainly possible, uh, but I don't know anybody. I mean, I think that would have to be seeing it a second time.
1: To me, that's tantamount to going to a, uh, a, a concert and saying, hey, before you play, can we set up a recorder and record your performance so that we could put it on
0: our podcast? Oh yeah that's a good point. I always get messed up with time. Like the t- the timing of things is always, you know. But what about what about productions that want to extend their run? And there's that doldrums in the middle?
1: Yeah, maybe. I you mean know? it'd be interesting to just do a doldrums podcast, of, you know, talking to uh performers about the doldrums of any play that's period in between the opening and the closing days.
0: Sure, yeah, that would be.
1: But that's a little high concept.
0: Uh, it would probably imitate the experience of their doldrums.
1: To my mind, I think the best thing we go we have going on as podcasters is that we've got a pretty good rapport, both as friends and as a married couple and as mm. talkers. Sure. Um. We have a unique perspective on whatever it is we bring. And I think that we um, have less fear about being honest than most people. Um, that can also be boring, though. Mm-hmm. Meaning...
0: self satisfying
1: We have no problem just saying that we played a game last week and going so deeply in the, into the details of that game that anybody who doesn't care is going to be bored out of their minds. It's
0: true. It's hard to imagine that, though, just because games are good.
1: Any final thoughts?
0: Final thoughts. Um,
1: Anything you want to say to the seven or so people who listen to us?
0: Well, thank you for listening to us. That was really good of you. You could have done many other things. And, well, I don't know. We know it's hard, especially... There's the dog. That's not our dog. That's the dog who lives downstairs. I guess just um, that... We care about people, and um, it's a, uh, it's um. Well, I just think it's great that you listened at all, so thanks for that.
1: Ditto on my part. Hopefully, we see you again with the season two, but we'll keep this conversation going in the meantime. Okay. I love you, Ish.
0: I love you, Greg. <laughs>